Take up your Bibles. Turn with me to the book of Isaiah once again for the Old Testament reading. And then we will turn to Luke 23 for the text for this evening. Isaiah 53, we will read the entirety of the chapter. Before we read, let us pray. O Lord, our God, we ask, as we have just sung, to renew our minds. Help us grasp the heights of your plans for us. O Lord, we are standing upon the firm foundation, the truths that have not changed, but we do change. And Lord, even though we hear the gospel often, I pray that you'd open up all of our minds that we may hear it afresh, with eyes afresh, looking to the, looking to the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Build your church. We know that you will. For Lord, you who started a good work in us will bring it to completion. We thank you for your faithfulness. Bless us now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah 53. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of the dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, he, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will de declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken, and they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his land. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge my righteous servant shall justify many. 
for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. And then to Luke 23. Beginning in the 26th verse, we'll read to verse 43. Luke 23. Now as they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, who was coming from the country... And on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. And a great multitude of the people followed him, and women who also mourned and lamented him. And Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren wombs that never bore, the breasts which never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and the hills cover us. For if they do these things in the greenwood, what will be done in the dry? There are also two other criminals led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him, and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father... Forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots, and the people stood looking on. But even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. An inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And then beginning our text for this evening. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God? seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, Today you will be with me in paradise. This ends the reading of God's law. Sorry, God's word. Let it be a blessing to us. We know very little about these criminals. All we really know about these two robbers, thieves, different people have called them different things. All I really know about them is that According to Matthew 27, verse 38, they were robbers, 
Thebes. This could mean different things. But it's vague because that's not what is as important. Luke does not mention their names, their heritage, or even what they had stolen. All we know about them is that it was serious enough to land them with one of the worst sentences Rome had to offer. Crucifixion. Death by torture and asphyxiation. Rome, the Romans called it the unlucky tree. And among these two unfortunate souls, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, was numbered. Having, having a place right in the middle, with the inscription over his head, the King of the Jews. The scene is horrifying. It is the climax of redemptive history. And it's unjust. But in verses 39 to 43, Luke zooms in on the scene on the cross where we are let in on what is said between Jesus Christ and the two thieves. And so this evening, I'd like to look with you at this dialogue. And I want to do it in four points. I know that the bulletin lists it as three, but there is going to be four points. And we want to begin with the railing of the first criminal. The railing of the first criminal. Verse 39. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. The words that come out of this first criminal are by no means a helpless request and a desperate plea. Rather, they are jeers and curses of the same kind that the rulers and the soldiers threw at him. The first criminal displays his unbelief and hatred of Jesus Christ in his sarcastic comment, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. The equivalent of saying, Some Savior you are, you can't even save us. Remember, Jesus' fame had gone throughout all the land. They knew how many people Jesus had saved. The rising of Lazarus, healing of the blind. Some Savior you are. There is no humility here. Only a hardness of heart and desire to justify himself. He displays his great arrogance and his contempt and disgust for the divine. This is a clear picture into our sinful condition ourselves, is it not? He does not think he should pay for his crime. He does not think he's guilty. When uh, Ali and I were serving at an internship in Kingston this summer, we went to the Kingston Penitentiary. And, the king, and in the penitentiary, there were these billboards of convicts. And on the billboards, there were stories of their, their, their sob stories of how they landed in prison. And what was fascinating to us, it was never their fault. They were always blaming someone else for ending up in prison. That's the way human 
the human in their fallen state is like, isn't it? Justifying ourselves, self-defending. This criminal sarcastically demands Jesus to save him, as if he deserved to be saved. And is maybe blaming God for not saving him. A pastor said, This man was prepared to believe in Jesus, that he was the Savior, if only he would do a miracle and release him from this temporal punishment that was a consequence of his crime. And when Jesus made no attempt to do that, he cursed him. He cursed him and his, his gospel as a cheat. And so with his last breaths, which were not an easy thing, when you were crucified, it was death by asphyxiation. You had to lift yourself up to breathe and to speak while having your feet nailed into a beam of wood. It would have been excruciating. And yet, with his last breaths in a, full, in a life full of chances to repent and believe, he blasphemes God and insults him with his unbelief. Not even his impending death was enough to persuade him to believe. If you ever have met someone who says, I will, I'll, I'll think about God when I'm older, bring them here. This is a sad and hopeless picture of all outside of Christ. Even before we are physically dead, we are all born spiritually dead in sin. You would think that a man in this position would be desperate to grab onto any amount of hope. But, as J.C. Ryle said, the impenitent thief is a striking proof that pain, suffering, and approaching death are not sufficient without grace to convert the soul. Only Christ can make us alive, and it was Christ that he rails and blasphemed. But also, this is a sad picture of what our own hearts are capable of. Now you say, hold on, I've not blasphemed God. We may not have mocked Jesus to his face, but have we done it to his own people? Do we taunt Jesus in the visible church? Do we belittle Jesus? What does James chapter 3 verse 10 say about the tongue? With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, it's talking to the church. These things ought not to be so. Are we, you and I, outwardly religious, but on the inside do we mock those made in the image of God? If we belittle our brother and our sister, we belittle God himself. In our evangelical circles today, there are many difference, differences, differing opinions, different theological viewpoints. And you and I, we must be careful how we judge and criticize. Let us ask ourselves, are we belittling our brother and sister in Christ? Our hearts 
stand condemned apart from Jesus. Without it, we cannot love like Jesus does. And so the due reward for our deeds is to be on that cross with the first criminal. So why aren't we? Well, because of what Christ came to make available to us, and which is made evident in the words of the second criminal. And so we come secondly to the rebuke and repentance of the second criminal. But the other criminal answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. The scene changes. Picture with me, if you will, these two. We know from Matthew that, and Mark that both of them were blaspheming Christ with the crowd. And then all of a sudden, we see in Luke 23, the second criminal stops. Maybe he turned and looked at Jesus. We do not know. But the next thing that comes out of his mouth is the last thing that we would expect. It's not an insult but a rebuke to the first criminal. Scripture does not exactly tell us what caused this sudden change. But I honestly think that it was after Jesus spoke for the very, very first time on the cross. Jesus said seven things while he was nailed to the cross. And the first one was, as we read, Father, forgive them. Because after this, the heart of the thief begins to soften. And we see repentance begin to do its work by the power of the Spirit. Answering Jesus' prayer. And we see it in these first words, Do you not even fear God? A reverent fear of God was lit up within this man. Suddenly he realizes how close he is to death and how desperate his situation really is. He sees where his sin has brought him. He is hearing the mocking that is coming from the other criminal and is thinking, as a pastor put it, even if a man does not respect anything else, you would at least fear God who has the power over life and death, over heaven and hell. And so the thief rebukes him. A fear has laid hold of him I wish was upon more people. He is saying, who are you to speak to one who has the power to send you to hell? You and me. Not to mention the fact that we deserve it. Which brings us to the second aspect of the thief's repentance. He recognizes who he is before God. He says, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. You and I, the criminal is saying, you and I have no right to demand us to, uh, saving when rightly, he doesn't even deserve to be here. What's happening here? 
the Holy Spirit in grace has given the thief eyes to see who he is, to see his guilt, acknowledging that his punishment is just. He sees who he is before true innocence, true blessedness as we saw this morning. In confessing Jesus as the innocent one and himself as the guilty one, the criminal is acknowledging his sin and recognizing his hopeless state. And yet this is not anything really remarkable about this criminal, is it? It is the remarkable, gracious work of the Spirit of God to lift the blinders off of our eyes. To not only see his sin, but to behold his salvation. For the Holy Spirit also gave this man eyes to see Jesus for who he was in his innocence and in his kingship. He believed the sign that was hammered to the cross. And not just a king of the earth. But the king over heaven and hell. The king of kings. And so the thief shows the first criminal. The, the, the only words we need to be speaking to this Jesus is pleading words of mercy. Which is what this thief does next. In his very next sentence in our third point. The request of the second criminal. The penitent robber not only rebukes his partner, admits his guilt, confesses Jesus as the innocent king, he addresses the man on the middle cross as Lord and looks to him for mercy. Verse 42, Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He sees here what Jesus is doing on the cross. He believes him to be the Savior. He believes him to be the Savior. How? Did someone tell him? There was no time. The Spirit of God revealed it to him. Many believe that God exists. Many believe that heaven is real. Many believe that they're going to be there when they won't. However, knowing this is not what saves someone. Many believe believe in the existence of God and yet go to hell. What saved this penitent thief was believing in the only one who could bring him to that kingdom, to his kingdom. The thief trusted in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Christ. The commentator remarked, What is extraordinary about this story was not how late the man was saved, but the amount of faith that he had. The convert believed that Jesus was the king of a coming kingdom. 
even looking at Christ, even with all the blood, the bruises, the filth, a look to say anything but royalty, the thief was given eyes to see and a heart to believe that Christ had a kingdom. And by sheer grace, the faith of this man was found in his confidence in Christ. And all and knowledge that all that he needed was for Jesus to remember him. And so he humbly prays. He humbly prays. Not, for the, not from the release of the excruciating pain that he is feeling or the impending death about to take him, but only for the Lord to remember him. This man put his hope in Jesus. If anything, if anything will save him from eternal death, it would be this man. This man. what's happening here Jesus prayer is being fulfilled it's being answered father forgive them Jesus is the only one sufficient enough to cover our sin because he loves perfectly it is a love that surpasses all knowledge Jesus delights in seeing the worst and most wicked sinner freed from sin and forgiven which we will see in Jesus compassionate response that this criminal didn't know the half of it. Jesus revealed that he would do far more than remember him. He was going to bring him into paradise. And so, fourthly and finally, Jesus' response, verse 43, and Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. I find Ephesians 3.20 fitting for this man and what he's going through, what he went through. It says, Now to him who is able to infinitely, uh, to do infinitely more than we could ever ask or imagine. You see, that the request of this criminal is to be remembered is too small. To be remembered implies something that's going to happen in the, in the future. But Jesus says, Truly I say to you, today... Today you will be with me in paradise. The criminal is receiving the promise of salvation that very day. His guilt was gone right there, right on the cross. His guilt was gone. I cannot imagine the heart relief that this man would have felt if ever there was a man whose works could not save him who could do nothing with his hands or his feet. It was this man. And yet, we see him being given the grace of salvation. Even there on the cross, his body being destroyed, knowing that he was getting what he deserved, suddenly can look forward to paradise. And then, He no longer remembers his guilt. The shame and maybe even the pain are washed away in the knowledge that he's going to be with Jesus in paradise. 
with Christ, his everlasting rest, eternal peace. But not to end it there, in Jesus' response, there was something even better than the, our idea of paradise. And something I, I often looked past too often reading this text. Verse 43, Assuredly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. A commentator said, the thief would get to be with Jesus forever. And being with Jesus is the definition of paradise. The thing that makes paradise so wonderful is the presence of Jesus. It's paradise because you will be with Christ. Jesus is the hope of heaven. He is the promise of heaven. He is the reward of heaven. To all who believe, to all whom he has put his love upon. This is why Jesus was on that cross in the first place. To forgive so that you and I could be with him. Revelations 21.3 says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. That's why he was there. Jesus could have called myriads upon angels at this point to rescue him, but he did not. He poured his soul unto death and was numbered among the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So that the criminal, so that you and that I could be named his redeemed. Jesus walked with the criminals, bearing a, a, a burden so much greater than the planks of wood. Sharing in their sentence of condemnation so that he could bear the sentences of our condemnation. Condemnation for all his people. And for this he suffered the pain of the cross. But far worse. He suffered the pain, the full cup of the wrath of God. The wrath of God that was due us. So that we could be saved from that very wrath. If someone was to ask you, what are you saved from in Christ? You might answer, we're saved from our sin. And that would be right. But if we want to be technical, we're saved from the very wrath of God. That is what we're saved from. By God. Why did he do this? Because he loves us. Because he loves you. At the cross we see the ultimate consequence of our fallen state in death. That's where we're all supposed to end up and really stay there. But we also see and so gloriously the climax of all redemptive history. In Christ, because of Christ, from him came rivers of blood that are for us rivers of living water. 
Jesus died to save souls, souls like yours and mine, and souls like the one nailed to that cross. It's the power of God to save. The Pharisees, the rulers, the soldiers, the first criminal, they look at Jesus and all his blood and the filth and they mock him as weak. But it was anything, anything but weakness that kept him on that cross. It was the power of his love. The power that saved the criminal, that conquered death, that crushed the serpent's head. And it is this power, it is all the more displayed in his resurrection. Because Christ did not stay dead. He is right now raised and reigning at the right hand of God the Father. Drawing all his children to himself. He has sent out his spirit to seek and to save the lost. This is the center of the gospel. Come. Come and believe and be cleansed. And so the second criminal received the gospel grace and believed, but also looked forward to being with Jesus, as do we. As do we, for Christ will descend a second time. But not in humility, in full glory, in full power. We need to remember that there were two thieves on the cross that night. Both beside Jesus. Both saw Jesus. Both asked to be saved by Jesus. One accepted the message of hope. The other despised it. Which one are you? Which one are you? Today is the day of salvation. Accept it because Christ is coming again, but this time he's coming as a judge. I cannot again begin to imagine what that day will be like when every single person, believer and unbeliever, stand before the judgment seat of God and Christ as the judge will come up to you and what will he say I remember you I remember you come to my eternal rest or as he will say to some I don't know you I don't know you. Depart from me. This offer is given to you to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ so that at the end when you come into the, through the gates of splendor you will hear well done my good and faithful servant. Jesus by his grace is the only hope for humanity. We are completely helpless to cleanse ourselves just like that thief. But Jesus can. Jesus loves, loves to save sinners. He was busy saving people right up to the cross, and he has been doing it ever since.
If he is willing to save the thief on the cross after all the thief had said before, he is willing to save you. Come to him, for he will by no means cast you out. Let us pray. Father in heaven, I pray that we always marvel, always love the simple but profound message of the gospel. The world thinks it's folly, but to us it is salvation. Thank you for saving us. O Lord, give us strength to go out into this world to spread it. Lord, always help us to look to you, the author and finisher of our faith. Lord, you who loved us and gave yourself for us, we long to serve you, to know you more. Sanctify us in the spirit of Christ 